The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. All right, so I think most of you were here when Caroline was here last time, but um, Caroline Jones is a um, counselor to children and families, and she's been doing that for many years. And um, last week she talked, or last time she talked with us about grace and discipline and just kind of a framework for what she's going to be going through with us today with um, kind of more of a workshop and um, practical tools for when we're in these situations. So you'll find a number of handouts on your table and I'm sure she'll go through all of those things as well. So I'm just going to pray again quickly for Caroline. Father God, we just thank you for Caroline. We thank you for getting her here safely with um the winter weather that has come upon us. God, we thank you for those gifts that uh, sometimes we take for granted, just getting from one destination to another. God, we thank you for bringing her here. We thank you for the gifts that you have given her that she's here to share with us today. Lord, would you speak through her um, to us? And we know you're here in our midst. We thank you for that. We pray for your blessing upon this time. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, good to be back. Um, when I saw the weather yesterday, I was like, oh, no. And I was dreaming up, like, maybe you could zoom me in or something. <laughs> anyway, um, God is very good. And I was just, this is just a stupid little thing, but I'll share it anyway. Um, I was sending a note home to my, a, a note to my husband to tell him I arrived safely. And I was, I wrote, bad roads up until Lakeville. And it actually wrote, it had roses up until Lakeville. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, that's not true. I didn't have roses until Lakeville, but <laughs> so good to be here. And uh, I'm going to make you work today. So I hope you're ready. Um, but I'm going to actually undo this here for a second. You probably could hear me without this, but let's just use it anyway. So what I want to do is I just want to orient orient you to a couple of things. So what we're going to do today is we're going to um, practice using this thing here called the five-point scale, and I'll talk about that in a minute. And then I have some scenarios which aren't on your table yet that we're going to go through. And then there's actually a case study that comes from Amy Baker's book, Caring for the Souls of Children. I just got copied her work. <laughs> I could have made it up, but I thought, why bother? So, <laughs> but it's very good. It was written by Julie Lowe. And it's about a child who's anxious. And um, we're going to take a look at that case study, and I have some questions for you. So listen carefully while I do this little run-through of these three tools that you could use with children who are misbehaving or anxious or whatever it happens to be. And I forgot to bring my colored markers, so we're sort of in... Uh, black, red, and blue mood. Um, unfortunately, th these should be all nice colors, but I forgot. And I thought I could go off the road and, you know, step, stop into my office and pick them up there. But then I thought, well, I don't know, I might get back on, you know, it might be a mess. So I just kept going. So, um, so first of all, you know, when we're, when we're dealing with, often with children's misbehavior, um, it often has to do with the fact that they've had some kind of a problem and they're, they're not doing well. They, they can't find the toy they wanted or their brother's taken the toy away from them or, heaven help, this ever happened, but like the lead in their pencil is broken. 
You know, and that can just be like a huge deal. So one of the things I do with children, and I teach all my parents to do this, is to talk with a child about how big is your problem. So if the lead in my pencil is broken, and I, or let's just say I forgot some of my notes, and I stand up here, and I realize I've forgotten my notes, and I start wailing, and you know, banging my fist on the table and just like having a huge fit. You're like, whoa, bit of an overreaction, Caroline, right? And you're right. Um, when we scream and yell and holler and kick and make, you know, scream bloody murder, people will sometimes say, what's wrong? Is there a fire? Like, do we need the, do we need the police? Do we need the fire department? Now, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you smell smoke in your house and you get up and you start running around like a frantic thing and your husband hears all this and he says, what's wrong? And you're like, call the fire department, call the fire department. He's not going to say, oh, don't overreact, honey. <laughs> right? You know, you kind of match your reaction to your problem. So big problems may need the fire department or the police. Does breaking your, the lead in your pencil, does that need the fire department? No, of course not. But so I, I just say this to children and I, and I make up these little stories and they look at me like, you're so silly, Caroline. <laughs> you know, no, of course it doesn't need the fire department. And then I say, well, you know, here's the thing that sometimes you have just a little problem and you respond as though it was a really big problem. So big problems would be red, little problems would be, uh, medium problems would be yellow and, um, or orange and small problems would be green like a traffic light, right? So like a traffic light. And so you can say to your children, so you can explain this to your children. When you have a big problem, you fall off the slide and break your leg. I don't want you to sit out in the garden and just go, oh dear, I've broken my leg. I want you to scream as loud as you can so I'll know something bad has happened and I'll come and get you. But, you know, if you can't find the blue Lego that you want... I really don't want you to scream like loud because that's really a small problem. And kids are kids pick this up very, very quickly. They love it when you play play little games with them about it. Let's see, is this a big problem, a small problem, or a middle-sized problem? And what kind of response should it get? So there's a, a good tool that you can use. <clears throat> then over here, this is something I teach parents. The original one was called ACT, and then one of my parents said, I have a better acronym, Caroline, and I thought he was very smart, so I now use this. So it's FLOW stands for Feelings, Limits, or Options. Now, I think in, in the handout I gave you, so um, can I just see? So on your table, you'll see some parent quick notes. I think I gave about four, was it, Emily? Four different ones. Um, on the back of one, it says using the acronym ACT. That's what I'm going to talk about now. This is ACT, but you can, you can have it be flow. So you're just going to have to make sure you get uh, one of each. These are called parent quick notes, and I put them together because these are, there's, I have a whole bunch of them, but I only shared four with you that I thought were kind of important. Um, I use these in my counseling because I'll often teach parents these, these strategies and... Um, then I give them this, and I try to just make it like a half page so that parents wouldn't have to read a lot. Because I've discovered that when I say to parents, I'd like you to read this book, they look at me like, what's a book? <laughs> but if I say, I'd like you to read this article, or I want you to read this blog post, they're much happier with me when I do that. It was my daughter that figured that out for me. She's like, mom, don't ask people to read books. 
moms don't have time to read books. They'll read an article. They'll read half page. So, <laughs> so that's the logic behind those. Um, I thought of something while I was saying that that I wanted to tell you. Um, it'll come back to me. So, feelings, limits, options, or um, acknowledge the feeling. What does C stand for? Um, communicate that you couldn't remember. The, communicate the limits and. Um, What's the T stand for? I'm so used to using this now. What's the T stand for on the ACT one? Oh, okay. So maybe maybe there's a, a typo there, is there? Okay. No, no, never mind. Let's do feelings and, and let's do flow. Okay. So here's what happens. Your child comes in and she or he is very, very upset. They're crying hysterically and they're way too um, they're way too upset to talk to you. But the other child is behind them and they're saying, he kicked me, he kicked me. Okay, what are you going to do? So here's, a, here's one thing you can do. You can look at the child who's crying and say, oh, honey. I'm, or, and so she, she says, he kicked me, he kicked me. And he is able to compose himself enough to say, well, she broke my Lego building, right? So you say, honey, I can see you're really, really upset. So you just acknowledge the feelings. I can see you're very, very upset. You're probably furiously angry. I can see that. And then you say, but you cannot kick your sister. Doesn't matter what happened. You're stating the limits. You cannot kick your sister. Instead, you could come and tell me, and you give them some options. You could come and tell me, or you could use your big, strong voice and say, no, I don't like it when you break my Lego. That would be okay, right? So you, you're acknowledging the feelings, and you're kind of validating the experiences. And sometimes I tell parents to say, listen, you can say to your child, oh, my goodness me, you seem so upset, you know. I think I would probably be the same upset if that was me. I think if somebody broke something that was precious to me, I would probably be upset too. You're validating their feelings, but you've got to set limits. But you cannot kick or you cannot break or whatever it happens to be. Instead, you can, and then you state some, you, communi you communicate some options for the child. Does that sound like it might be good? Now, here's the thing. I teach parents this, and we practice it in my office. And they go home, and they try it once, and it doesn't work. And they come back, and they say, I tried that, but it didn't work. And I say, how many times did you try it? They say, well, I did it once. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you have to do it many times. And it might be many times a day, not just many times a week. Eventually, it'll stick. And eventually, your child will come in who's done something naughty, and you'll, you'll say, okay, honey, I can see you're really angry. And they're like, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, they're like, I know where she's going with this. They know what you're going to do, and, they, and then they become independent. So it's actually a really, really helpful little acronym to have in your head when you feel like, I don't know what to do right now. But I need to, I need to deal with their upset, but I also need to, to uh, set some limits. Good parents set limits, right? And I said this last time. Good parents set boundaries and limits without threats or lectures, right? 
that's the best way to do it. Now, let's look at what's called the five-point scale. Can you find that colored one? I think there might be only one on your table, but I have a few more. So this is called the five-point scale. And this... Um, None of these are my own ideas, by the way. I mean, I just pick them up from all over the place, and I can't even... I, I, I think I know that... I think this comes from... Um, I don't remember. So, the five-point scale looks like this. Um, let me just grab one from here. Can I borrow yours for a sec? Just hold it up. This is what the five-point scale looks like. Okay, in case mine is a bit small. So... Apparently, green is good, right? <laughs> green is always good. If you can say, I'm at green, you're good. If you're up here at red, it's bad. So the idea is, we all have um, things that trigger us and make us kind of explode and sometimes make us go off the deep end, right? So this can be called your anxiety scale, your anger scale, your inside voice scale, <laughs> right? Your impatience scale. I mean, you just, you can use it for anything. This has been traditionally used with children on the autism spectrum to help them with some of their behaviors. But this is a tool I use with kids all over the place and kids with all kinds of needs. So what you say to the child is, let's say, let's call it your anger scale for today, right? No, let's call it your anxiety scale, your anxiety scale. So you say to the child, when you're, when you're working this with your child, now don't fill it out now because I want you to do it, um, I want you to do it, I want you, want you to do some role playing with this in a minute, okay? So don't fill it out now. But so you have a child who's anxious, right? Who gets very, very anxious. And here's, here's a little tip for you that most people, even counselors miss. Sometimes, Children who are explosively angry are not actually angry children, they're anxious children. It's so easy to miss. You have a child who explodes, and you're like, he's got an anger issue. And I've made this mistake. I've been treating anger, and then the parent takes them somewhere else, and they get diagnosed with GAD, generalized anxiety disorder. And I'm like, oh, I missed that, right? So... So sometimes explosively angry children are actually very anxious. So you, you're, you're trying to work with your child about his anxiety. Good thing, good, good thing for parents to do. So you may say to the child, I've got this little tool here that is going to help you. And we're going to use this together and see if you can, it can help you with being so anxious, with, with your worries, whatever you want to call it, right? And you say, let's pretend that this is a day when you are not worried about anything, Everything's good, no worries at all. And that would be, on this chart, then you'd be on green. Okay, so what does it look like when you don't have any worries? Now, you can do smiley faces here if you want to, or words, whatever you like. And so the child will probably say, you know, get a, you get a big smile and you say, ah, yes. So I would know by looking at you that you weren't worried about anything because you'd be smiling a lot and very calm. And so you draw that in there. And how does that feel? Oh, he'll say, oh, that feels good, yeah. Okay, good, it feels good. Let's write that down here. Do we need to do anything? Like, no, everything's good, right? But let's say something happens that upsets you a little bit and you start to feel just a little bit kind of worried. What does that look what would If I looked at you, how would I know that? How would I know you were getting a little bit worried? 
And the smart kid will say, well, I might have a frown on my face, or I might be very quiet, or I might be holding on tight to your leg, whatever, you know, and you write that in there. You say, what does it feel like? Now, the, pur the purpose of this is, if we don't understand that all our feelings register in our bodies, we can't help ourselves. How many people in this room would say they struggle with anxiety? I know I do. Okay. How many people in this room know when you're beginning to get anxious, you can feel it in your body? Right. Now, it takes you a while to figure that out. And once you do, you feel really smart. But I mean, I know that I can wake up in the middle of the night having had a great sleep, no bad dreams, nothing. But I wake up and, and there's this funny feeling in my chest. And it used to really freak me out. And I'd be like, oh, what am I going to do? Like, I'm so worried. Now, I wake up and I have this funny feeling in my chest. And I go, oh, I know what this is. This is anxiety. And I know immediately what to do. I immediately start to say Psalm 121 memorized it. It's my go-to psalm or Psalm 46. I immediately do that and I just reach out to Jesus and I'm back asleep within five minutes. Right? How many people wake up in the middle of the night afraid or anxious and they're awake for three hours because they actually don't know what to do? So we want our children to get smart like that too because our body registers our feelings. Bessel van der Kolk wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score, famous book. And it's a book about trauma. And he's talking about how trauma actually lodges in our bodies and we have physical manifestations of that trauma. It's the same with anxiety and anger. So you say, what does it feel like when you're beginning to feel a little worried? And, and you may have to do some prompting here, but a smart kid will say, well, um... I start breathing a little faster. Oh, yeah, me too. That's, that happens to me sometimes. My heart starts to race a little bit, okay? So you, between the two of you, you write down what that feels like. Now the question is, is there anything you could do so that your anxiety doesn't keep going up until it gets up to red? Now, you're going to have to be the clue here. So you might say, well, how about this? How about if you came into the kitchen and got a drink of water? Now, here's something. If you haven't discovered this, you're going to thank me forever when you hear this. Do you know that you cannot cry and drink water at the same time? Did you know that? <laughs> it's true. I promise you. I discovered it when my mother was dying. And I was in the hospital and all my cousins were coming to visit her. And it was very tear-jerking time, and I, and I had a bottle of water, and I suddenly discovered, hey, I can't cry when I drink this. This is so cool. <laughs> so in school, we would always take children who were crying hysterically to the water fountain. Let's get a drink. And it calms them down, but it also stops them crying. <laughs> so there's a good little trick. So let's get a drink of water. Or it might be, um, would you like to sit on my lap and have a cuddle? That would be a good thing if you're starting to feel anxious. So you come up with a list of a few things you can do. And then you say to them, now, if, if, you're, if, you're, if your worries keep getting bigger, I'm using child language now, okay? If your worries keep getting bigger, they might go into the yellow zone. And I always say to them, now, the yellow zone is like a really important zone because there's only two things that can happen. You're either going to go all the way up to red or you go back down to green. It depends on what you do in the yellow zone, 
right? So what does it feel like when your worries are getting a little bigger and, and you'll, the child will come up with some things or you'll remind them, you'll say, well, well, this is often when you start crying. Oh, yeah. So you draw a picture of a child crying. What does it feel like? Well, I'm feeling like there's, a, I, it feels like there's a big monster in my closet or, it, you know, and something like that. And what could we do? And let's pick really carefully here because we could maybe make your worries go back down. And if we don't hit on the right things, they might keep going up. So you may come up with have a snack, um, go for a walk. We would sometimes at school, a child who was um, not doing well, we'd sometimes just take the child by the hand and say, come on, we're going for a walk. And we'd walk around the football pitch. Just quick walking, no talking. Just walk, 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 walk. Usually by the time they got back, they were fine. But it might be, if this happens to your child in school, one of the things you could do when you get to here, or even here, is take a break. Tell your teacher, take a break. Take a break is a really, really good thing to do, by the way, for all of us when we're worried or angry. And so on, all the way up. And when you, you know, the, the question is, when you get to red, what you're having here, you don't want to say this to your child, but it is you're having a full-blown panic attack when you're at red. And what can you do to help yourself in that moment? I'm looking for ideas. Do you want to be seen in public if you're having a full-blown panic attack? No. Go to your room. Take the child to their room. Or if you're in church and it happens, take them out to a quieter place. So when, when we start getting up here, we want to preserve the child's dignity as much as we can. Um, but we also want children to know, if you're starting to feel really, really ramped up and it's get, you're getting more and more and more worried, you have to do something. You've got to do something, otherwise you're going to go right up to, to red. And I did this with a child one time who had an anger issue. And when I asked him what it's like at red, and he said, he said to me, oh, Caroline, it's a nuclear bomb. A mushroom cloud. <laughs> so that's what we put up there. So, you know, what things I can try is stay away from other people. Go to my room and close the door. What does it feel like? It feels like everything's out of control. And whatever way you can, um, you can do that. So, so here's what I want you to do. Um, I think there are a couple of extra ones over there. But Let's just get two people at a table, one to be the parent and the other to be the child. And um, I'll, I'll find some more forms for you so that maybe, maybe more people can do it than just two at a table. And um, so the parent is going to, the, the, the child, whoever's going to be the child is going to choose whether it's going to be angry, um, anxious, um, whatever it happens to be like. It can be how to use a, a quiet voice inside, you know. And what does it sound like when you're using your quiet voice inside? What does it sound like when you're, when you're using your loudest voice inside? What does it feel like? And that would be everybody's mad with me kind of thing, right? So anxious or angry is probably the, the way to go for today. And, and just walk through this with each other. Role play it. And if you're getting stuck, the other people at the table can help. So everybody's to kind of chime in. So I'm going to, so get your, your chart ready and I'm going to bring some extras around. Just as you're, as you're thinking of getting started, lots of parents like this. And two things they do is they make a chart like this and they stick it on the fridge, laminate it and stick it on the fridge. And you can go to it any time. Or some of them just make a little strip of paper with the five colors on it and carry it in their purse. And in the middle of church when your child is ramping up, you can take it out and point to yellow and say, I think you're in yellow right now. 
you need to do what it takes to get yourself back to green, right? So it can be very useful. So go ahead. This doesn't have to be children. This could be actual. Like you could, you could choose anxiety because that's a struggle you have. And you just be, you know, it doesn't have to be mother, child. It could be just two adults with each other. So. Okay, let's wrap that one up. Any problems with that? Anything that's leapt out at you? Like I didn't know what to do when this happened or anything you learned in doing this? Okay, so I'll show you a couple of things. I, I think you have one of these on your table for everyone. Some families have loved this. You just make a little, um, a little wheel for emotions. Um, other families have liked doing something like this, my anger scale, with a little... And some families I've worked with keep this at the dining room table. You seem really angry, Jonah. How angry are you? <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you seem really angry, Dad. How angry are you? <laughs> and kids have done that. Having a stop sign is always a good idea because if you have a child who's really getting out of control, sometimes just even going like this or holding up your stop sign works. Then you also have at your table the angry iceberg. And this is something that's extremely helpful to use with kids. So remember we talked about the... Um, Remember we talked about the, ice, the, the frozen mountain peak, right? And when, when, the, when the heat starts to come on the mountain peak, we, um, we experience the melting down in the valley, down in the family, right? Do you remember that? Um, and we sort of forget about the mountain peak. So this, is, this kind of represents this pretty nicely. So, so what you see when your child is mad is you see anger. It's the tip of the, of the iceberg. But we know that there's nine-tenths of the iceberg underneath the water, right? So the thing is, um, you can go after the anger for sure. But most of the time, the anger is not really the problem. It's the manifestation of the problem. Something else has happened. And so I do this with kids. So I have, um, I have a child right now who, uh, whose father died, and uh, her mother is dating another man, and she does not like him, right? And so we did the anger iceberg, uh, but we didn't do it about anger. And at the top, I put um, something like dislike, or can't stand or something like that, right? You know, because that's kind of what we see. Um, and then I said to her, you know, I know that that's a really strong feeling for you, but I know there's plenty of others too. She said things like, well, when he's around, I feel invisible. Feeling invisible. Um, he makes jokes about me. He's just trying to be, you know, fun and nice, but she's taking it very personally. Um, she said, uh, I feel squished by him. I, she actually said, I feel crushed by him. She said, I feel like if I was a rock, he would crush me. So, you know, these are really important things you want to find out. Um, and so, so instead of just going after, well, you don't like him and you need to like him, we've gone after some of these other things. Tell me what it feels like to feel squished. Tell me what it feels like to feel crushed. Now, I, I don't think he's crushing her, quite frankly. <laughs> but it feels that way to her, and perception really is everything when you're 10, right? So the angry iceberg is great. I had a, a little boy one time who used to have these huge meltdowns, and I 
tried to train his mum to do this. And then one day they went out shopping. And this is very typical of children who are explosive. When plans are changed, they lose it. And, and on the way shopping, they stopped the van and mum said, um, now... I'm going to go with, er, er, Dad said, I'm going to take um, so-and-so and so-and-so and go into Target, and you're going to go on with your mom and do such and such. But that wasn't the plan from the beginning, so this boy lost it, totally lost it, throwing things, kicking the whole shebang. And his mom, bless her heart, turned around to him and said, you sound really angry. I wonder what else is going on underneath the surface. Brilliant. Right? The little boy came back to me the next... I keep slipping down me. The little boy came back to me the next week, and I did a thing with him where I took out miniatures, and I said, could you choose one for your mom and choose one for your dad? And for his mom, he, I might have told you this before, he chose uh, the fairy princess. And I was like, oh, I thought that was an interesting one for his mom. And so I, I said to him, I said, why did you choose this for your mom? He said, my mom is magic. I said, oh, really? How come your mom is magic? How do you know she's magic? And then he told me this story. He said, she said to me, what else is going on underneath? And he said, that was the right question to ask me. I was like, well, go figure. You win some and you lose some. <laughs> so I was very proud about very pleased about that. So pretty much showed you, oh, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, and there's, there's also um, a thermostat here. So sometimes it's like, how angry, how mad are you? How upset are you? Could you draw it on the, you, you don't have to color it in. You can have it empty and, you know, have a bunch of these around. And sometimes it's just helpful in the, I can assure you in the moment when your child is having a huge meltdown, you are not going to pull out the five-point scale. If you are, you have to tell me what happened, because I would really like to put that in my book. <laughs> so you're not going to do that, right? Because that's not the moment to do it. But afterwards, you might pull out the five-point scale and say, let's talk about what happened yesterday. And remember, never talk about the meltdown too soon, because you may get another meltdown, right? Okay, so now to the meat of what we're going to do today. So here come your scenarios. There's scenario one, two, and three. Um, and then on the back, there's the anxiety one. So let's do, let me see what the time is like here. Yeah, we're okay. Let's do, let's try to get one, two, and three done by, by about 12, 11.15. So that's not a lot of time, about five minutes for each. And then at 11.15, we'll stop and um, we'll have you look at the back of the page. I have these here. So would somebody like to give these out? Um, and then we'll, we'll do the anxiety one together, okay? So, um, so look at your scenarios while they're coming out. The first one is about um, a toddler who melts down because he doesn't want to go home from grandma's. How many people have had that happen? <laughs> um, the second one is about getting your, your four-year-old to bed at night and them staying in bed. And the third one is about having two kids, two older kids who are constantly fighting with each other and what you're going to do. So now, as you read them together, I want, I want you to do is I want you to sort of problem solve. What would I do if this was happening in my home? And remember the things we've talked about. So I gave you these tools because some of them will be perfect 
Fourier scenarios, and you may have some of your own. But um, one thing I didn't talk about is like, what kind of words are you going to use as you process these situations? So think about that, talk about it together. And um, if anyone has a really great idea, write it down and we can share it at the end, okay? <laughs> Go for it. Well, I heard some really good thinking and there were some really great questions. And I just want to share one thing that I shared with the table over here that I think might help a little bit. So, you know, the, the question over here was, you know, what are we trying to do in the moment when we're trying to sort of calm our little one down and, you know, they're having a fit in the grocery store. And my, my response to that was, what you're doing with young children up to about the age of five is you're actually helping to train them to regulate their emotions. And that makes you a co-regulator with them. That's the phrase, co-regulate. So when you drop a jar of pickles in the grocery store and you have a mega fit, your child is looking at you and going like, oh, that's an interesting response. <laughs> you know, um, and when your child is refusing to leave grandma's house and you, you're looking at the time because you have an appointment at two and you need to be back home by quarter to two because the babysitter's coming. So you're now all in a big, big flap. So you're not thinking calmly and you're not behaving calmly. You can't help a child when you're like that. So you have to be calm too. And that's what co-regulators do. Now, you won't always get it right. And nobody said you would. And it's okay if you get it wrong. You just go to the Lord Jesus and you say, well, I really blew it that time. <laughs> you know, can you help me with this help me to lean harder into you when I'm feeling really stressed. So the other thing to say is, let's imagine this is your brain here, this hand, right? This part of your brain here is called your frontal lobes or your executive functioning part of your brain, which is right in the front of your forehead here. And deep buried in your brain is a little almond-shaped organ called the amygdala. I teach this to some of my older kids, and they think that's a wonderful word. They love showing off that they know a word, how to spell it even, how to spell amygdala, because you have to really think about how to spell it. But this little amygdala is actually right deep in the center of the emotional part of your brain. So when you get really upset or when your child gets really upset, if we did a brain scan of your child, that amygdala would be glowing red, right? It's on fire. And when your amygdala is on fire, your frontal lobes just shut down. They're like, okay, I'm taking a break. Um, Dan Siegel calls it flipping your lid. He's the brain guy. He, and what Dan, Sie Dan Siegel's not a Christian, but he's very smart, and he's done some very, very good work around this. I love his books. So Dan Siegel says, you flipped your lid. And we, that's a phrase we use. That's not what happens to your frontal lobes, by the way, just in case you thought it did. But what it just means is the frontal lobes shut down. And when the frontal lobes shut down, the amygdala rules. The amygdala is the boss. Now, here's the little phrase for you to remember. The calm amygdala wins the day. When your child has flipped her lid or his lid and the amygdala is ruling the day, you've got to quiet yours down. You've got to make sure your amygdala is not on fire too because two amygdalas firing at the same time is not a pretty sight. <laughs> I've done it. I know very well. So how do you calm your amygdala down? Deep breathing, you know, reaching out to Christ. The Lord is my refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. I'm in trouble now, Lord. I need you to save me in this moment. 
calm, calm me down, help me breathe and say nothing. That's the other one, right? Calm amygdala wins the day and say nothing when you're upset. You don't have to say anything. You're the mom. <laughs> you're in charge. So if you want to be quiet, you be. but that's the best thing you can do because I guarantee when you say something, it'll be the wrong thing, right? So make sure your amygdala is calm. And then when the amygdala calms down, the frontal lobes come back into play. Now, one last thing about that is uh, if you have a child who's really, really upset and you try to process the upset too soon, what's happening? What's ruling? The amygdala is ruling, the frontal lobes aren't working, and the frontal lobes are the part of your brain that help you solve problems. This is why, you, you won't be surprised when you hear this, this is why the experts say after you've had a death in your family or a divorce or something catastrophic like that, don't make any major decisions. Right? You've heard that. Don't sell your house or change your job. Give yourself about a year because you're going on a lot of adrenaline and a lot of emotion, and you're probably not thinking too clearly. So, you know, that's the science, and it's very reliable science. Yeah. Okay. Let's look to the back of the page. Thanks, Emily. So the back of the page, I'll just read it quickly. Chris is a sensitive 10-year-old boy from a loving family that's active in your church. He had very few experiences of prolonged stress or loss until his grandmother passed away during the summer. Shortly after that, his grandfather also passed away along with a family pet. Chris began worrying about his parents' well-being, although they were actually very healthy, and he became anxious about getting ill or getting the flu. His parents became concerned when one day he refused to go to school because he knew several kids in his class were sick. He wasn't willing to get on the school bus or even let his parents drive him to school. Chris's parents wondered if this was just a phase he was going through, a way of processing grief, or if he was developing a struggle that needed attention. Now, I've got a few questions here that are really kind of key. What do you think? Is this something that needs attention? It needs attention. Okay. Would you run him off to the counsellor right away? No. Okay, I, I wouldn't either, but it, you can't ignore it, right? Uh, what's, what signs might you see? Let's pretend this is your child. This is the, your family situation. What signs might you notice that, that Chris is really anxious or growing more anxious every day? Just shout them out. Isolating. Isolating, very good. Mm -hmm. Not wanting to be with friends, and that's one of the things about not going to school, right? Good. Yep, very good. Mm -hmm. So he's now got a lot of worries, right? It's always, what if you get sick? And you can understand that, right? Well, more outbursts, very good. Yeah. So he's very emotional. He's going to be very emotional, probably. Maybe angry a lot of the time, maybe showing it with anger, showing it with meltdowns and things. Okay. Now, how would you know if Chris's anxieties, this is, a, this is not a trick question, but this is a super important question. And this table over here should know the answer, by the way. <laughs> not putting you on the spot or anything. But, so how would you know if Chris's problems or his anxieties were within the normal range? Anxiety is the most common struggle. Do you know what I, I oh, this will break your heart. Did you know? that since 2016, rates of suicide amongst children as young as eight have risen, and more children are going at, at age eight are going to the emergency room because they have suicidal ideation. 
Now, it, and it can't be just blamed on the pandemic. I thought, oh, it's the pandemic. But actually, it's been since 2016. I just, I read that yesterday and I just wept. How very sad. So how would you know that Chris's worries were within a normal range? It's normal to be worried if your grandfather dies and your grandmother dies and your pet dies and now you're worried. That's normal. You might even have that worry. Will I be the next? You know, how would you know if they're within the normal range? Still able to function. Mm -hmm. So he's having trouble functioning going to school, right? So that's a good red flag. How else would you know they're within the normal range? Come on, table over here. What did I tell you? <laughs> yeah, age-appropriate expression. That's good. Mm -hmm. One of the things I said to them over there was that his anxieties won't be controlling the family. Do you remember that part, right? Um, when you have a, a son who's very angry, so much so that the entire family is walking on eggshells, you have a major problem there. If a child's anxiety is affecting everyone in the family, no one's going anywhere. And yeah, so that's a problem. That's a very, that's a big problem. Um, Couple of other clues that they're it's maybe not within the normal range might be not sleeping at night, not eating, right? Think about this, like a normal 10-year-old boy eats everything in front of him, right? A normal 10-year-old boy plays hard every day and falls asleep pretty quickly at night. But Chris is staying awake at night and he's not eating. His, he leaves his dinner on the table in front of him. That's not a good sign. We're done. Okay. Oh, I'm going to take one more minute, okay, since I'm the boss right now because I've got the microphone. <laughs> Just a sec. So, so um, what mi things might you do in your own panic um, that wouldn't be helpful? Right. Okay. You don't think that would be helpful? That would not be good. Would it be good to just keep them home, though, as well? So, yeah, that's like school refusal is a very, very difficult problem with anxiety. The last thing you want to do is say, okay, you don't need to go to school because you're anxious. Got to get them to school. And I could talk for a long time about that, and I won't. Um, but how do you help him see God in his struggle? So really, really quickly, Psalms, Psalms, Psalms. Psalm 121, Psalm 23, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. God is a strong high tower. God is, a, is like a mother hen who shelters you under his wings. Um, God is a place you can run to. God is a fortress. All of these kind of scriptures will help. Now, you just don't throw them at him, right? You sensitively pray them over him when you're putting him to bed at night and when you're in the car together. Um, yeah, okay, so thanks so much. It was great to be with you these two times. I hope I'll come and see you again maybe next year. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ.